If you have your Bibles, take them and uh, turn to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. If, you have a pew, if you're using the Pew Bible in front of you, it's on page uh, 1119. We've been looking at the book of 1 John for a little bit. Um, when I've been preaching, we've been looking at 1 John. When Pastor Ryan's been preaching, we've been looking at Genesis. Next week, we'll be looking at Genesis. So that gives you a clue as to who's preaching next week. We're in 1 John chapter 2. Let's, uh, let's pray, shall we? Many times throughout the scriptures, Heavenly Father, we have been called uh, to praise you, uh, to sing to you, uh, to worship you, and rightly so. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to him on the ten-stringed lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy for The word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his amazing love. And we praise you, Father, for your love. We continue now to worship you by attending to your word, by paying attention to your word, hearing the preached word. We ask, Lord, that uh, your Holy Spirit uh, would come and minister to each one of us um, what it is that we are to learn and understand today. And as we've said before, that may be different for each one of us. But we, uh, we are not just a body of people gathered together on the horizontal plane, but we have gathered here before you to worship you and to hear from you and to be ministered to by your Holy Spirit. So we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, we saw that one of the characteristics of a genuine Christian is their compliance with God's will. Their obedience to God's will. Chapter 2, verse 3 talked about the fact that Christians keep God's commands. Chapter 5 talked about the fact that Christians keep God's word. Chapter 6 talks about the fact that Christians walk as Jesus walked. Well, verses 7 through 11, which is the passage we'll be looking at today, talks about another characteristic of true Christians, and that is that they love one another. They love one another. Look at verse 7. Let's read verses 7 through 11. The Apostle John writes, Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old command that you have had from the beginning. The old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says he is in the light but hates his brother is in the darkness until now, or is in the darkness still. Verse 10, The one who loves his brother remains in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness, walks in the darkness, and doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So here we come to one of the foundational teachings of Christianity, and that is love. The primacy of love with regards to the Christian faith cannot be overstated. Jesus said, Jesus was asked about what's the greatest commandment, and he gave two. He gave two. There were two great commandments. What are they? 
Yep. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. What do they have in common? Love. Love. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as yourself. I want to cite for you very quickly, or I want to show you very quickly, several verses from the New Testament. And these aren't verses that just say love one another, but these verses in particular highlight the exceptional quality of love, how it is supreme among the virtues. For instance, Galatians 5.14, for the entire law is fulfilled in one statement, love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, 1 Peter 4.8, above all, Peter says, maintain an intense love for each other since love covers a multitude of sins. The exceptional quality of love, above all, maintain an intense love for each other. Uh, Romans chapter 13, do not owe anyone anything. Don't owe anyone anything except except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and whatever other commandment, all are summed up by this. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you're loving your neighbor as yourself, you're obeying all these other commandments. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law, the exceptional quality of love. 1 Corinthians 13, we're not going to do the whole chapter, but start off. If I speak human or angelic languages but do not have love, I am a sounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains but do not have love, I am subpar. No, I'm nothing. I'm nothing. And if I donate all my goods to feed the poor, and if I give my body in order to boast, these are all good things. These are all wonderful things. If I do all these things, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. Doesn't matter how smart you are, how accomplished you are, how wise you are, how many things you've done. If it's without love, it's nothing. It's nothing. The end of First Corinthians 13. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is hope. No. The greatest of these is love. Love. Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit. It starts off, what starts the list? Love starts the list. There's nine qualities that are mentioned in the fruit of the Spirit, but love is the one that starts the list. In Colossians chapter 3, love is the one that ends the list in order to highlight its importance. Therefore, I don't know if you can see that or not. It's kind of small, but therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion a kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You should bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, you should forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Jesus, of course, gave this command. Um, he knew shortly that he was going to be arrested. He knew shortly that he was going to be arrested, that he was going to be tried, that he was going to be tortured, that he was going to be crucified. So he takes time to talk to his disciples, and this is one of the things he instructed them. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so much, so you must love one another. In order to drive it home, and in order to uh, highlight the importance of this, he says, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That's the badge of the Christian. That's the, that's the hello, I am a sticker on, you know, I'm a Christian. It's because we love one another. It, we're known because we love one another. And that's... That's what specifically what our passage is talking about today. It's a 
loving one another. In other words, Christians love Christians. Or to put it another way, it's in your bulletin, in your outline. If you are a Christian, you must love your sisters and brothers in Christ. If you are a Christian, you must love other Christians. And part of this is a command, and part of it is it's, it's who you are as a Christian. If you're a born-again Christian, th- this is the Holy Spirit that is working towards this. I'm not saying we do this perfectly, but this is what the Holy Spirit is driving us towards as believers, to love one another. So I want to discuss this passage under two headings, and the first one is this. First of all, love for one another, it's commanded. Let's talk about the fact that it's commanded, that uh, the Scriptures command us to love one another. Verses 7 and 8. Dear friends, I am not writing you, I am not writing you a new what? Command. I am not writing you a new command, but an old command that you have had from the beginning. The old command is the message you have heard. Yet, I am writing you a new command, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. So, this command is both something old and something new. And we'll talk about that in a few minutes. But first of all, let's talk about this. How can you command love? How can you command, how can you command love? After all, people say, people fall in and out of love all the time. Love is a feeling, right? Love is a feeling, a feeling of affection, a feeling of attraction. In school, a boy falls in love with a girl, but he doesn't fall in love with all the girls. It's arbitrary. He falls in love with one particular girl. Well, why does he fall in love with that particular girl? I don't know. Love is arbitrary. It happens on a whim. It happens by chance. There seems to be no rhyme or reason. Well, if that's what love is, then yeah, how can you command love? How, how can you command that I love a particular person? How can you command that I love this brother in Christ or this sister in Christ? Feelings are hard to command and control. But you see, feelings are not how the Bible defines love. The biblical understanding of love focuses on love as an action. As a behavior, not a feeling. That's not to say that feelings don't come along and that feelings sometimes aren't a part of love. But when Jesus says, for instance, love your enemies, he's not commanding you to have uh, warm, fuzzy feelings for those who attack you. That's not what he's commanding when he says to love your enemies. Rather, he's saying that we are to do to our enemy, do, do good for our enemies, even if we would rather not. Let's look at the teaching. Look how he starts. He says, love your enemies. That's what he says. And in the rest of the passage, he, ex- he explains what he means by loving your enemies. And as we read through this, look and see if what he, is, what he means by love is action and behavior or if he means feeling and emotion. Okay? So he says, love, uh, love your enemies. What does he mean by that? Do what is good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If anyone hits you on the cheek, offer the other also. And if anyone takes away your coat, don't hold back your shirt either. Give to everyone who asks you, and from one who takes your things, don't ask for them back. So does Jesus understand love as an emotion, or does he understand it as a behavior and an action? Behavior and an action, right? He doesn't say anything about the emotions. He doesn't say, love your enemies. I want you to think positively about them all the time and have warm, fuzzy feelings for them. That's not what he's saying. He is saying you are to do good um, for your enemies. There is a place for feelings, but it's not the primary place in love. Unfortunately, we live in a culture where love is consistently misunderstood and misdefined. Uh, Just for kicks, I looked up love in the dictionary in a few online dictionaries. And uh, here's the first one I found, and the others were similar to it. the, The number one definition, an intense feeling of deep affection. 
an intense feeling of deep affection, a deep romantic or sexual attachment to someone, a great interest in pleasure in something. Well, that's the way the world understands love, but that's not the way the Bible ultimately defines love. That's not the way the Bible primarily defines love. Our culture talks about love all the time. It sings about love all the time and writes about it and holds it up as an ideal. But our culture misunderstands love. It doesn't understand uh, love. And this is something for you to take note of today. The culture that you live and work in, that culture loves to define love for you in terms of a feeling and affection that comes and goes. But that's not what love is according to the scriptures. Love isn't primarily a feeling or an emotion. It's an action. It's doing what's best for another, or at least doing the best you can for another. It's doing what's for their good, doing what's in their better interests. Sometimes it may please them, and sometimes it may not. You may tell your children, no more ice cream. And that's an act of love on your part because it's in their better interest, but they might not receive it as love at that time. (laughs) They might not like that. But it's still love because you're doing what's in their best interests. Love is primarily and fundamentally benevolent action. Benevolent action. That's what the Bible teaches. If you've got your Bibles open, just turn over to chapter 3 real quick. Chapter 3, verse 16. First John 3, 16. This is how we have come to know love. How do we know what love is? This is how. He laid down his life for us. Action, behavior. Christ laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers. Look down at verse 18. Little children, we must not love with word or speech, but with truth and action. Action. Love is primarily action and behavior. Action and behavior. Feelings may come along. Not always. How can love be commanded? Because love isn't primarily a feeling. It's an action. It's a behavior. Marriages fall apart because husbands and wives aren't in love anymore. They've they've fallen out of love. That's the world's understanding. They should be love or or else not stay together, right? (laughs) That's that's the world's understanding. But that's not the church's understanding. That's That's not the Christian's understanding. It shouldn't be. Feelings of affection for your mate may not always be intense. They might not even be there. Occasionally, they may be negative. Feelings for your mate may be negative. Um, You may fall out of love, so to speak, but in terms of actual love, in terms of doing good for one another, we continue to do good for one another. Isn't that part of the vows, for better or for worse? Loving your husband or wife is doing them good even when you're irritated with them. It's continuing to serve one another even when they don't deserve it. And that, that's what it means, that's what it means to love your fellow Christians as well. Okay, think of all the people in this room right now, especially those who are regular attenders of this church. Do you have, uh, warm, fuzzy feelings for every single, uh, person in this church? Uh, maybe you do, and, but maybe you don't. But that's not what we're talking about when we talk about love one another. We're talking about doing one another good. We're talking about meeting needs. We're talking about bearing burdens. We're talking about taking meals to one another. We're talking about visiting one another in the hospital or wherever. We're talking about sending cards to one another, about babysitting one another's kids. These are all behaviors, actions. That's how we love one another. We're talking about listening to one another, talking about praying for one another, encouraging words, helping someone move, giving a thoughtful gift, taking time to meet for lunch, not ignoring one another. 
raking someone's raking one another's yards or whatever or bringing over a generator to your pastor's house when the electricity is out i'm, I'm just saying that's that's happened two people kelvin diller and scott densmore have both done that on on a couple of you know, uh, each one on one occasion when my electricity was out that's that's loving one another that's loving one another I'll let you know when my electricity goes out again. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, how can love be... Con- <laughs> the interesting thing is, I didn't ask either one of those guys. They knew what the problem was, and they, and, and they, just, they just came with these generators. In Scott's case, this is a long story. Uh, in, the, in Scott's case, he bought a new generator and brought it to my house. Now, he bought it for himself, but I was the first one that got to use it. So, <laughs> so that was cool. How can love be commanded? Because love isn't primarily a feeling, it's an action. Well, let's move on. Um, how is love an old command? Verse 7 says it's an old command that you've had from the beginning because it's fundamental to Christianity. It's one of the, love, love is one of the ABCs of the Christian faith. Sunday school children are taught about love. New Christians are taught about love. They, they're taught about God's love for them and then how they are to reciprocate that or, or to reflect that love to others. And Jesus taught his disciples, as we've seen, that their badge of distinction as his followers should be their love for one another. How is love an old command? It's basic and vital to the Christian faith. How is love a new command? How is love a new command? Verse 8 says it's a new command. Probably in different ways. I thought of two different ways. Uh, first of all, it, it's revolutionary on the world scene. It's revolutionary on the world scene. Jesus is the light of the world. And when he came into the world, light dawned, if you will. Look at verse 8. Yet I am writing you a new command, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. That light started to shine when Jesus came into the world. He's the light of the world. And the light continues to shine and the darkness continues to disappear as more and more people come to Christ and are reflecting the love of Jesus Christ. I don't think it's an overstatement to say that the Christian faith has shown more love within and without than any other religion or organization or society that the world has ever known. Christians and churches on the whole have been better at loving one another and at loving the world around them than any other religion or society. Now, some of you may think, eh, that's not my experience. <laughs> and there are exceptions. And there are many exceptions throughout church history. But on the whole... The Christian faith has done more good for one another and more good for the world than any other religion, culture, or society. And I say that recognizing that throughout the 2,000 years of the church history that there have been thousands and thousands of, case, of cases of just the opposite, of uh, hypocrisy and gross sin within the church. I'm not denying that in the least. When I read church history, at least two things stand out for me. That the church, or the, the, the church history is riddled with scandalous and sordid affairs. But I also come away with the uh, inescapable conclusion that the Christian faith has been an unsurpassable force for good in the world. Donald Whitney, in a book, says this, Among what are called the great religions of the world, Christianity has no parallel when it comes to demonstrating concern for people and for their needs. Whether the needs are temporal or eternal, felt or unperceived, no other religion is known for its love and compassion, not only for those within its ranks, but particularly toward those outside its circle of adherence. The perceptive eye 
and the helping hand are birthmarks of the born again in Christ. Concern for others is as much a part of being a Christian as concern for self is for the non-Christian. And then Whitney goes on in his book to talk about just one area. Um, he says this is an example, an example of the many areas of which Christianity has been involved. And the one area he talks about is uh, the care of uh, children, uh, the care for care for children and orphans. Um, and let me just give you some examples. Um, as far back as the fifth and sixth century. It was Christian, it was Christian influence that brought legal protection to the children of the Roman Empire. Um, Ulrich Zwingli in Switzerland, who's a contemporary of Martin Luther and John Calvin, he broke with the Roman, when he broke with the Roman Catholic Church, he persuaded the Council of Zurich, Switzerland to transform several local monasteries into orphanages. One of the most fruitful evangelists in history, George Whitfield, you may recall him from your <coughs> U.S. history classes. Uh, and you may not recall him, I don't know. Um, but uh, George Whitfield was an evangelist from England here in the United States um, during the time of Ben Franklin. He devoted much of his income to the development of an orphanage in colonial Georgia. Uh, think of the impact upon tens of thousands of children accomplished by William Wilberforce in England, who persevered for decades in the British Parliament to begin the... Uh, the modern movement to end slavery. He single-handedly, almost single-handedly, brought slavery to an end in England. At the same time, uh, English missionary William Carey was responsible for outlawing the centuries-old practice of child sacrifice and the burning of widows in India. Uh, Later in the 1800s, Lord Shaftesbury led the fight against child labor practices and sought to improve treatment of the mentally ill in Great Britain. Uh, George Mueller is known in church history as a champion of prayer and faith, um, recording more than 50,000 specific answers to prayer in his journals. And most of these prayers were for the same purpose, purpose namely that God would be glorified by providing the means to feed, clothe, uh, to, to feed, clothe, house, and educate up to 2,000 orphans at a time in 19th century uh, Bristol, England. And the Lord was pleased to channel through George Mueller tens of millions of dollars, and he never let anyone know his need. He just told the Lord about it and asked the Lord for help. Uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon is known as the Prince of Preachers, um, and he's, he's remembered primarily for that. But during his uh, lifetime in ministry, he built more than 17 homes for elderly widows and an orphanage for hundreds of children of all races and backgrounds. And he eventually started and or presided over 66 uh, different ministry organizations. Most of these were in the, in the poorer parts of London and on occasion were funded entirely by Spurgeon himself. Uh, today in America, Christians in every state of the Union provide homes and education for children without parents and for unwed expectant mothers. And moreover, it's the followers of Jesus Christ. We're the ones who are spearheading the effort to pr- protect the lives of the unborn. This is just one area, the protection and the help of children. Okay, we could talk about that. The church, the hospital originated in the church. The concept of the hospital, the development of the hospital uh, originated in the church. We could talk about education. Whitney goes on to say, throughout history, Christians have led the way in supporting widows and orphans, building hospitals, and providing disaster relief on every continent in the world. Wherever a beachhead for the gospel of Jesus Christ has been established, medicine, education, and relief for the poor have followed. 
whether the need is hunger, lack of drinking water, illiteracy, sickness, homelessness, or anything else that causes misery, Christians have been at the forefront of caring for the needs of the world. How is love a new command? It's revolutionary in Jesus Christ. But another way that it's a new command is it's fresh in its application through you. We could talk about church history, but let's talk about you. It's fresh in its application through you. Verse 8 says that it is true in him, Jesus, and in you. The command to love comes to new and fresh expression through you and your loving service today. And through you and your loving service then tomorrow. And then on Tuesday as well. And on Wednesday and so on. Um, my wife and I, uh, my, my wife has expressed her love for me in countless ways over the seven years that we've been married. 27. <laughs> 27 years that we've been married. My, my kids would have questions. Uh, <laughs> but you know what? I don't, I don't get tired of it. I don't find her expression of love to me. Um, uh, dull or stale. I I appreciate it. I appreciate it. The, you know, it, it's even just little things. Uh, well, uh, we're getting behind, but you know, she occasionally she'll bring home a little gift. She went to the grocery store. She's got a lot on her plate. She brings home a little gift that I never would have thought of, but I really appreciate. You know, so the, you know, it seems like little things, but it's big things. So the expression of love each time you are loving someone else, each time you're serving someone else, and and and. Uh, and, and doing good for someone else, it's, it's fresh and it's new. And it's refreshing. So love for your brothers and sisters in Christ is commanded. It's commanded. It's an old command. It's a new command. It finds fresh expression through you. But it's also, number two, it's inevitable. It's inevitable. It's an inevitable result of your fellowship with God. Verse 9. The one who says he is in the light but hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother remains in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. Verse 10 says, the one who loves his brother remains in the light. Or you could turn it around and say, the one who remains in the light loves his brother. Love for your Christian brothers and sisters is indicative of your union with Christ. It's indicative of your union with Christ. Verse 9 says, uh, you know, the one who says he is in the light but hates his brothers in the darkness until now. The one who says he is in fellowship with God and yet doesn't love his Christian brothers and sisters. Well, the truth is he's not in fellowship with God. Because the reality is you can't be in fellowship with God. You can't be in fellowship with God for a sustained period of time, in, for a sustained period of time without the Holy Spirit within you shaping you and transforming you and helping you to grow. And one of those fundamental areas in which he helps you to grow is in love. And love specifically for your Christian uh, sisters and brothers. We, we saw in chapter 1 that God is light and God dwells in the light. And so when we are walking in the light, when we are walking in relationship with God, that means we have uh, the Holy Spirit dwells within us. He is influencing us and shaping us and molding us to become more and more loving doing selfless good to others is becoming more and more characteristic of you the more you dwell in the light the more loving you become and one day that will be perfected one day that will be perfected so we've seen that love is commanded 
Um, we've seen that it's inevitable. Let me uh, close. And by close, I mean five to ten minutes, <laughs> just to be clear. Um, let me close with three other comments real quick. Uh, number one, if, if it's inevitable that genuine believers will love one another, why is it commanded? If it's going to happen anyway, if it's true that Christians are going to love one another, why exhort them to do so? Well, as a Christian, you have a new nature. Uh, you have a new heart. But some of the old habits and selfishness persist. Um, so your new heart and your nature are prompting you to love and to serve. But the old habits have their influence too. And so we need the commands. The commands catch our attention. They say, hey, you're not supposed to be selfish. You're supposed to be a selfless creature. You're supposed to be loving one another. Um, you have a new nature, a new heart. You're like Christ, so act like it. This is who you are. Now act like it. Be that way. As a Christian, the Holy Spirit dwells within you. He is transforming you in a variety of ways. And he is certainly prompting you and teaching you to love. But it's possible to grieve the Holy Spirit, the Bible tells us. It's possible to ignore his promptings. And so we have the added promptings of these commands that say, hey, this is who you are as a, as a Christian. Now act like it. You're a new creation. Stop acting like the old creation. Act like the new creation that you are. That's why the commands are there. And we see a clear example of this in First Thessalonians, for instance. The Apostle Paul is writing. He says to the Thessalonian Christians, by the way, Paul was clearly impressed with how well the Thessalonian brothers and sisters loved one another. You get that in the first three chapters. Here in chapter 4, he says about brotherly love, you don't need me to write to you because you yourselves are taught by God. They're walking in the light. They have fellowship with Christ. The Holy Spirit is within them. He's prompting them and shaping them to love one another. You are taught by God to love one another. In fact, you are doing this toward all the brothers in the entire region of Macedonia. Okay, there's the inevitability that he's talking about. You, uh, you, are, you are walking with Christ. That's obvious. But now, but then there's the command. Verse right there at the end of the paragraph. But we encourage you, brothers, to do so even more. The combination of the fact that the Holy Spirit is teaching them and shaping them and molding them, but then the, the scriptures come along and remind us and, and keep pushing us in that direction as well. It's like the scripture... And the spirit within you are working together. How about that? So the scriptures do this time and time again, not just with love. They tell you, this is who you are in Christ. Now act like it. <laughs> now be who you are. Stop being who you were. But be who you are. Grow up. All right. Aren't we supposed to, second question, aren't we supposed to love more than just our fellow Christians? I mean, this passage talks about loving your brother, which is talking about Christian brothers and sisters. Well, that's true. We are to love more than our fellow Christians. We're to love God. We're to love one another, our Christian brothers and sisters. We're to love our neighbor, who is anyone within our uh, sphere of influence, anyone within our own little world. We're even to love our enemies. So we are to love more than just our fellow Christians, but we are not to love less than our fellow Christians. <laughs> um, the Bible, while it talks about love for all, it does zero in on this particular topic quite a bit of loving one another, loving your brothers and sisters in Christ. Christians are to love Christians. God wants to get that point across to you. It becomes evident in the New Testament that you should be loving, serving, and doing what's best for your brothers and sisters in Christ. 
Start with the people in this room. These are the people you have been called to love and serve on a regular basis. We've been called together into a family of a local family here. And if you consider uh, this your church and there is someone in this room that you ignore or you dislike or that you steer clear of, that's a problem. Now, remember, the Bible isn't commanding your feelings for this person, but it is commanding good actions toward them, toward them, like uh, smiles, uh, uh, kind words. Those would be uh, a start in the right direction. <laughs> we start in the right direction. Love one another, Jesus said. In fact, Jesus said in, in the Sermon on the Mount that if, if, a brother, if, if uh, your brother or sister in Christ has a problem with you, if there's an issue, what do you need to do? Leave the worship that you are involved in and go take care. Be reconciled to your brother or sister at that point. Matthew chapter 5. Love one another. The church is known for loving one another, for crossing crossing barriers, for crossing barriers. Early church, okay? Uh, When the early church got started in the first decade, this thing is falling off. I love technology. Um... The Jews hated the Samaritans. The Samaritans hated the Jews. The Jews, with regards to the Gentiles, had nothing to do with the Gentiles or as very little as they could with the Gentiles. What happened in the early church? The the first Christians were Jews. And then, through the Holy Spirit, Samaritans started coming into the church. And guess what? The old animosities dropped away. Outside the church, the Jews and the Samaritans still hated each other. Inside the church... You're a Samaritan? Oh, no big deal. Okay? And then the Gentiles uh, started coming into the church. And when Paul comes back from his missionary journey, and he stops through Samaria, and he stops in Judea, and he's reporting about what God is doing to the Gentiles, the Samaritans and the Jews, they're rejoicing. All these divisions have been dropped away. God has destroyed, uh, the, the Lord has destroyed these walls. There's no place for prejudice in the church. There's no place for racism in the church. All these uh, barriers uh, drop away in Christ, or they should drop away in Christ. So, yes, we are to love more than our fellow Christians, but let's make sure that we are loving our fellow Christians. And then finally, true love for one another is countercultural and noticeable. Jesus was right when he said that everyone will know you are my disciples when you love one another. Selfless devotion to one another stands out, especially in a, in a culture like ours, where, where so many people feel entitled to live for themselves alone, where so many believe that how they live is no one's business but their own, where so many believe they have the right to pursue happiness regardless of the hurt and pain it might cause to others, where so many have no idea what it means to live for the common good where so many people have no problem looking out for number one. Don't be self-serving. If you're a Christian, don't be self-serving, but rather serve others. Final verse here, Galatians 5.13, For you were called to be free, brothers. You were called to be free. But what's the purpose of this freedom? Is it to live, live out your own desired path to happiness? That's not what it is. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. You have been freed from uh, the power of sin in order to serve others. You've been freed actually from serving yourself in order to serve others and to serve Christ. Let's pray.